0: Welcome to the King's Word Bible Study. I'm your host, Brother Vinnie Fitzgerald, and today we're going to delve into the Bible to bring you insight from God's Word that will help you to grow and to develop in a spiritual maturity. These lessons are designed to help guide you and strengthen you in your relationship with the Lord. Whether you've never opened a Bible or have read it cover to cover, this podcast will inform and uplift you. Our purpose is not only for you to know and to understand the King's Word, but for you to live it out in your day-to-day life. Philippians 4 and 9 tells us, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Today, our topic is going to be Onesimus' story. Let's begin in the Book of Philemon. In the Book of Philemon, Beginning in the ninth verse, it says, Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begun in my bonds, which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is mine own bowels, whom I would have retained with me that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he have wronged me or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it, albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord, refresh my bowels in the Lord. In this letter, Paul introduces us to one of his fellow laborers in the Lord. Named Onesimus, it may not seem like it at first, but Onesimus is very important. He was a servant. We know this to be true from the superscription that comes after verse 25, which says, Written from Rome to Philemon by Onesimus, a servant. In order to better understand Onesimus and his life, we have to understand the culture that he lived in. Onesimus was a slave who belonged to Philemon in Colossae. A third of the population were slaves in the Roman Empire at that time. It was a major institution in their culture, and it was something that the people there placed a lot of importance on. It's believed by many scholars that Onesimus ran away from Philemon and that he was now living in Rome, from which he wrote this letter. This is why Paul said in verse 15, For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. During this time, This was one of the most serious offenses that a slave could commit. If they were caught and returned to where they came from, it could carry with it severe physical punishment or worse. When Onesimus met Paul and came to faith in Christ, Paul was in prison. Verse 10 says, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Even though Paul was in prison, it was extremely dangerous for him to be talking to a man like Paul because Paul was a free-born man. In the Roman culture, the ruling class who oversaw households and oversaw slaves was called the paterfamilias, always consisting of freeborn men. If Paul hadn't been a Christian, he could have easily sent Onesimus back to Philemon to be punished. Even though this danger was present, Onesimus still spoke to Paul, and because he reached out in faith, despite the danger, he received the gospel and was set free. The name Onesimus was a common name for slaves in that day. It means useful. This shows the mindset of the people of that day. They didn't view him as his own person, having his own identity. They just viewed him as a tool to meet their own ends. They viewed him as something to be used, which implies that they just viewed him as an object, something that should be used until it's no longer useful. Their view of him was strictly utilitarian, Understanding this meaning of his name sheds more light on verse 11, where Paul made a play on words when he says, Which in times past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. The New International Version translates this verse as, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Onesimus went back to Philemon, who in the natural was his master, It's evident that at some point, during Onesimus' departure, Philemon had also come to faith in Christ, most likely through Paul also. He went back to a situation that would have under any other circumstances been a cause of great punishment and cruelty. But the difference was that he didn't go back as a slave. He didn't go back as an object. He went back as a man. The Lord set him free, not only in the natural, but also, and more importantly, in the spiritual. Verses 16-17 to 17 tell us, Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord? If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. These are interesting verses, especially when you keep in mind that Paul is writing within the Roman Empire, which was filled with people who loved and supported the system of slavery as critical to their economy. Paul wasn't just writing a quaint, endearing letter to a friend. This was a revolutionary concept. This was an assault on a system that they had grown to embrace. And it was a teaching from the Lord that would go on to change history, not only in the Roman Empire, but also in countless places all around the world. Paul wasn't calling for him to be only viewed as a spiritual brother while still being a natural slave. He said not now as a servant. And at the end of the 16th verse, he said in the flesh and in the Lord. He was calling for Philemon to view him as completely free and as a brother, both in the natural and spiritual realms. He was calling for him to be viewed as family, as a blood relation, which now he really was through the blood of Christ which was equally shed for both Philemon and Onesimus, both master and slave. This is how Paul viewed him. Verse 10 said, I beseech thee for my son Onesimus. When Paul used the word beloved in the 16th verse, it's a form of agape, meaning unconditional, self-sacrificial love, love done in action. This is the way we're always to love God and our fellow neighbor. But we still should take notice that Paul is calling Philemon, To love Onesimus in this way. It was service done unconditionally and self-sacrificially that masters expected from slaves. This is a counterfeit form of agape. The difference is that love isn't present at all. Love can exist, because this service isn't being done willfully. It's forced, it's mandated, and true love can't be forced. Philemon had expected unquestioning, unconditional, self-sacrificial acts of service from Onesimus, but now Philemon was to give unquestioning, unconditional, self-sacrificial acts of service and love to Onesimus. Everything was being reversed and changed. These were actions beyond just menial service. These were actions from the heart, actions caused by real true love and a real bond of brotherhood that transcended class and natural status. We can see from this that God completely turned Onesimus' life upside down for his good. In verse 17, Paul said, If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. He was calling for Philemon to view Onesimus the same way that he viewed Paul, as a freeborn man with all the rights and privileges that come with that status. He wanted him to view him as one of the paterfamilias, as if he had never been enslaved at all. Living in our modern culture, where slavery is rightly viewed as the evil that it is, this may not seem that shocking, but at the time that this was written, this was unheard of. More than anything else, when Paul said this to Philemon, he was calling on him to view Onesimus as a person. When the Lord set Onesimus free, he gave him back his personhood, his identity, and his sense of self. And this isn't just true of Onesimus either. Part of the reason why his story is so important is because we find part of our own story in it. We haven't been slaves in the natural, but we were all at one point spiritual slaves to sin and to the devil. Romans chapter 7 and verse 14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. When we're born into this fallen world, we're enslaved to sin. It owns us. We belong to it. John 8 and 34 tells us, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. This was the state that we all found ourselves in, and the Lord could have left us there and been perfectly justified in doing so. But He didn't, because He loves us. When He made man, He wasn't looking for servants who were just there to be useful. He was looking for family, for children, for friends, who are there to bring life and love and joy. This is why He sets us completely free in every way. John 8 and 36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We've all experienced this freedom firsthand. That's why we're listening to this program today. That's why we're here, to praise and worship Him, to show Him our love for Him, the love that couldn't exist if we were just useful servants. Now we're not just free, but we've been given back our personhood, our identity, and our sense of self. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in the 12th verse, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God, for the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly but by reason of him who have subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. We find in this chapter. How God Views Us. Verse 16 said, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He views us as children, not just servants. Masters are only responsible for the servant's basic needs, whatever are the bare necessities of their life, their basic physical needs. But with children, parents are responsible not just for their physical needs, but also for their spiritual and emotional needs. They're responsible for their nurturing and growth and their maturing. And God takes these responsibilities for us upon himself when we become his children. In verse 17, he goes even further. He says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. A slave in the Roman Empire couldn't expect anything when their master died. They wouldn't even dream of it. The only thing that would change is who owned them. They would either be passed down to the master's son or sold to someone else, but they themselves wouldn't be given anything. In some very rare cases, they would be set free upon the death of the master, and today we're one of those rare cases. If we were just servants of God, that would mean that we would be set free because of the death of the master, but we still wouldn't be entitled to any inheritance, which would be great in and of itself. But He has gone beyond and made us children, family, and blood relations to Him, so that we can have and enjoy all that belongs to Him. We inherit everything, everything promised in His Word, everything that He said that we can have, and we shouldn't take this lightly. A servant doesn't have any expectation, but we do. As verse 19 says, We now have earnest expectation because we know that we have an identity. We have a sense of self that can only be found in Christ. Our true self is who we are when we're with God. Our true self is who we are in the eyes of God. The world may not view us in the same way. They may view us in the complete opposite way, but that means nothing. They don't define us. They don't make us who we are because we don't belong to them. The Lord has purchased us with His blood. He's elevated us to a position higher than this world could ever think to do so. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19-20 to 20 tells us, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We have to know that we're His, He's more than just our heavenly master. He's our heavenly father. He has adopted us into his family. He has done for us what he called Philemon to do for Onesimus. Philemon was to treat Onesimus, who was formerly enslaved, as a freeborn man. And God treats us, who were formerly enslaved to sin, as free in Christ. We've been adopted as children and have all the rights and privileges that come with that family connection to God. Inherent in adoption is the idea of choice. You have to choose the child who you want to adopt. And God has done the same with us. He has specifically chosen us to bring us out of servitude and into the household of faith. 1 Peter 2 and 9 tells us, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness an end to His marvelous light. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 4 tell us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. He's made us a new creation. We're a new person in Christ, And because of this, we find our identity in Him. We live in a world today that's going through an identity crisis. People don't know their identity. They don't have any sense of self. They don't know who they are. This is why we find such confusion in the culture around us. This is happening in every area of culture. Because people are looking for answers. They're looking for clarity and meaning. And more than anything else, they're looking for themselves. The reason why this confusion rages on without subsiding is because they haven't realized the state that they're in. They're like Onesimus. They're enslaved to sin. And they may try to depart and run away, taking temporary solace and all different false identities that the world tries to give them. But eventually they come to the same realization that they're just as enslaved as they've always been. They weren't freed. They just changed masters. And this leads people to become hopeless. And in their mind, every new cultural fad, every new possible identity, no matter how crazy it sounds to us, offers them a glimmer of hope. that maybe that's where they can find the hope that they've been looking for. But they look, and they look, and they haven't found. Why is this, though? They've been blinded to the answer that they're looking for. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 tells us, whose unbelieving minds the God of this world hath blinded, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. We think that the answer couldn't be any more obvious, but they can't see it. They can't understand it. Acts chapter 17, verses 22 to 23 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Even though our culture has strayed so far from God, there are still vestiges of him in the culture. There are still altars to the unknown God, and we may think, how can they miss him? But to them, he's just that, the unknown God, and they pass by him without another thought. Because they're not looking for something unknown. They already feel unknown. They're looking to be known and to be identified as their own person. Why would they want a God that isn't even identified and isn't even known himself? In their mind, that wouldn't fix their problem at all. But this is why Paul went on to make known to them the unknown God. He said, Him declare I unto you. They haven't known God, which is why they don't feel known themselves. But if they're actively looking, they're promised that they will find, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 7 to 8, Ask and it shall be given you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. The only one who can know us completely, in the fullest sense, to the innermost part of our being, is God. And until we meet him, we're not going to feel known. We're not going to feel like we have any real identity. We're not going to experience meaning. We're just going to feel lost in an indistinguishable sea of people, all who seem to be just carbon copies of one another. We have an identity today. We know who we are because God was made known to us. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 14, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3 tells us, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. God knows us. He's identified us as one of his children, one of his friends, one of his blood relations, and this is all that matters. This is who we are. Nothing the culture says or that the world says matters when we really understand this. They can try to label us with all sorts of names or designations, But all this reveals is their own insecurity and their own lack of identity. When we see those around us latching on so tightly to false forms of identity, God has called us to make known to them the unknown God, to make known to them where they can find their true selves, their true identity, to show them who they can go to, to really be known. We find this in Onesimus' life. He didn't keep his new personhood and identity to himself. He used it to glorify God and to help lead others out of the same situation that God brought him out of. Philemon was a man of Colossae, and when Onesimus returned to him, he now lived in Colossae also. And we find him again in the letter to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 4, verses 8-9 says, Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known to you all things which are done here. He who had once been unknown was now making known. He who was once just useful was now far more than useful. He was faithful. Ignatius, the ancient Christian writer, who was said to have been discipled by John himself, wrote that Onesimus became the second overseer of the church of Ephesus after Timothy. This reveals even more of the greatness of our God because it shows that the man who was once overseen by a master was now made the overseer over the servants of God. God will do the same for us. He wants to give us an identity. He wants to know us and to be known by us. He wants to lift us up and to elevate us. And He wants to make us overseers of His work and His kingdom. And it's our job to faithfully serve Him and to do His will out of love. The Lord will use us. He will make us useful in the kingdom. But we, like Onesimus, need to let the world know about the identity and the personhood that we found in Christ. This is the only solution for a world who's forgotten who they are. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word, Lord God. We thank you that you've done the same for us as you did for your servant Onesimus long ago. Lord, you sold us in bondage to sin, but you didn't leave us there or forget about us. You sent your son to be the perfect scapegoat on our behalf. You sent your son to pay the price that we couldn't pay and to die the death that we should have died. And Lord, we thank you that because of that sacrifice that he made for us, that now we can be truly and completely free in every sense of the word. And Lord, we thank you that we can perfectly find our identity in you and that we can be known by you and that we can also know you. Lord, we thank you that you've revealed yourself to us through the word. And Lord, we thank you that we can take this identity that we only found in you and make that known to other people around us who are still searching for who they really are at the innermost level. And Lord, we thank you that when we tell these people about the identity we found in you, that they will open up their heart and their eyes to see their need for you and open themselves up to you so that they can be freed also. Lord, we thank you for the deliverance that is coming and this bondage that the enemy has tried to keep this culture under, constantly having them go from identity to identity without finding what they're really looking for. We thank you that this is coming to an end. And that they will find their identity in you and that the unknown god will be made known unto them lord we give you all the honor and all the praise and all the glory in jesus name amen now if you want to be truly known and have jesus as a part of your life today all you need to do is to invite jesus into your heart to be your personal lord and savior You then need to repent of your sins and ask for his forgiveness. Then you trust that you've been forgiven and you ask for his free gift of eternal life. Now if you've prayed this from a sincere heart and you truly meant it, then you are now a part of the family of God. Welcome to God's family. We want to thank everybody for listening today. We appreciate you taking out your time to spend with us. If you'd like to give us feedback and tell us how much you appreciate this show, you can contact us at Study at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about this program and this ministry, you can visit kingswordbible.com. We appreciate also if you write a review from wherever you're listening to this podcast from, and if you follow and subscribe so that more people can hear the King's Word for themselves. God bless you. We want you to know that we love you all, and we will see you next week as we continue to study the King's Word together.